All right. Ooh, that's gross. Uh, hello, everybody. My name is Luke Thomas. I don't even know what the day is. My phone around here? It's uh, Thursday the, Jesus, 30th, maybe? Something like that? Yeah, no, 31st. Well, whatever it is. It's late July, August, or excuse me, July 2004. Uh, I am the senior editor at MMA Fighting, and this is our live chat that we do every week. It's usually on Wednesdays. Last couple of weeks it's been on Thursdays uh, because... Uh, last few weeks, I should say, because of a lot of things going on in Nevada, and then today, um, yesterday, travel, all kind. Of, there's just been interferences, is what I'm trying to say. But we are still doing it, just pushing it back 24 hours. So, welcome everyone. I appreciate you being here today on the chat. We'll talk about uh, Nick Diaz versus Anderson Silva, what it all means, and who's going to win, and all the different angles about it. We'll talk about UFC 178, the fight card that looks really, really good. I have no complaints, really. Then we'll talk about uh, the Eddie Alvarez rumors and whether they're true and all kinds of stuff. And, and so we'll get to all that. And then whatever else you want to talk about, best place to do that, of course, is going to be on MMAfighting.com. You may also get at me on Twitter, at SBN, <clears throat> excuse me, Christ, at SBN Luke Thomas. Ah, there's my phone. And um, you can also email me at Luke.Thomas at SBNation.com. Yes, today is the 31st. Uh, as you can see... I'm actually in New York. Let me turn this a little bit. Recognize that? Yeah, this is the MMA Beat set. Uh, I'm actually in New York today because I was here yesterday for the uh, the Bellator Media Day. So I got a hotel overnight, and then uh, I uh, had some work to do this morning, and then I came here for the Beat, which we just shot. So there'll be an MMA Beat tomorrow, and then uh, do my live chat as soon as this is over. I have to make a train. So it's a busy day, but it's a happy day, and I'm happy that you're here. Okay, so without further ado, one last request. As you know, this episode is not brought to you by Coke Zero. They're not actually a sponsor. I want to make that clear, which they would be. But when you hear this sound, that means you need to let folks know you're watching. That means to get on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is you need to do, Swarm, the new Facebook app, or excuse me, the new um, Foursquare app. Uh, I'd let folks know you're watching. Tweet the link of MMA Fighting. Tweet the link for the video. Do whatever you got to do, and that would be greatly appreciated. Thank you so much. Okay. With that out of the way, let's get to the first few questions, shall we? All right. By the way, word of note, some of you have noticed this. I don't know if other ones have. The last bit of information I'll give, and then I'll kick these questions off. Um, after the show is over, I have been uh, taking the MP3s of the show and then putting it on on the, the post on MMA Fighting. So if you want the MP3 version, check back later, maybe an hour or so after the, sh the show is over, and you can have an MP3. I haven't got an RSS feed for it yet, but there you go. Okay, first question. There have been rumors that a Cerrone-Eddie Alvarez fight might be made for UFC 178. Thoughts on this matchup, if it indeed happens, who do you have winning, and how do you see that fight going? If, in fact, it does get made, which, you know, time is ticking, but if it does get made, um, I favor Donald Cerrone, but stranger things have happened. I wouldn't be uh, begrudging of a pick of Eddie Alvarez. I, I think that the length of Cerrone is a problematic um, you know, certainly he might fall prey to Alvarez's wrestling, but Alvarez isn't that much of a great offensive wrestler. He's okay as an offensive wrestler when he wants to be, but he likes to push forward um, sometimes uh, against other strikers, against other wrestlers. He likes to backpedal a little bit. Um, so um, hard to say what he's going to do, whether it comes forward or comes backward. Um, 
with in this particular case with Donald Sorrell, excuse me, with wrestlers he backs up with strikers likes to push forward, I should say. In any event, um, I still favor Cerrone. I think the power, the size differential is a bit of an issue. Um, the length at which Cerrone strikes versus the length at which Alvarez strikes. Alvarez much more of an inside boxer. Cerrone much more of an outside kickboxer. I think that favors Cerrone generally. But uh, Eddie Alvarez is a very capable lightweight. Capable, you know, certainly. I don't think beating Cerrone is the is is some sort of impossible task. But if you're asking me who I favor, yes, I certainly favor Eddie Alvarez. Um, in terms of whether the rumors are true about whether this is trying to be made, uh, you know, I, I, nothing is confirmed. But first of all, I would tell you that I think Sherdog's source is impeccable on this one. I believe that that's all true. Um, no one would speak about it at yesterday's Bellator Media Day. Eddie Alvarez was not there. Um, I, I suspect that it's an inevitability that Alvarez ends up in UFC. Whether or not he gets there before... UFC 178 to make the Cerrone fight, I can't say for certain. Um, we'll see. But I do think that what's been reported out there is, from, from what I understand, it's 100% accurate. Do you believe in... You, you're not going to believe this. Do you believe in God yet? You said you don't believe in God, but if you did, he would make a fight between Silva and Diaz. Are you joining a church, mosque, or synagogue? Uh, none. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I was sort of just being facetious when I mentioned it all. Um, it wasn't an actual like religion litmus test about whether or not God proved His existence. I don't. I don't quite think that is what happened here. I don't want to get too much down a rabbit hole about this, but no, I certainly have not changed my opinions about whether or not there is a, uh, a deity, and even, even if there is one worth worshiping. Uh, thoughts on John Jones trading shots with fans on social media? Is this something you have no issue with and equated to Dana White-like behavior? Or do you think that Jones should behave in a more mature way considering he is champion, face of the sport, and arguably pound for pound number one in the world? I actually tweeted about it, and I was like, did he get hacked again? You know, because previously those other comments came out, and he was like, oh, I got hacked. I actually don't care if he makes these comments. They don't bother me at all. If he wants to, it's fine. I actually sometimes like trading shots with people who come on. Twitter is a hard medium, man. It's full of haters. And this is Instagram, I know, but I can't imagine it's radically different. Um, certainly not like Facebook, which is you're much more able to, to tightly curate who gets in, who gets out, and that kind of thing. And so um, I don't really care if he does it, but more mature. What do, you, what do I need to be more mature for? It's not going to make my commute back to D.C. after this chat's over any quicker. I don't care. Whatever. It's fine. Do what you want. Um, it's not going to hurt the UFC's brand. It's, 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 I don't applaud it, but I don't, I don't really care. Um, but when you see stuff like that, and then he's like, well, my phone got hacked when I left the homophobic statements, it's like, it's a little hard to buy that, you know? Um, it could all be true. I, I don't know for certain that whatever excuse he had last for that, that someone else used it, or it was hacked, or whatever the case may be, that that's not true. It may well be true, but when you see that, and then you see this, it's a little weird, right? It's a little, the, the coincidence is a little too hard to accept. But if you're asking me, do I care that he does that? No, I don't care that he does that. When Jones is bullying gay people, and other than like he doesn't seem to care at all. I, I mean, yeah, I think the gay stuff is like totally, totally over the line. Why would I? 
But is he doing gay stuff here? Well, sort of. He's equating feminine. Uh, he's equating being effeminate with weakness. Blaine's when you're sitting in your fat ass playing with toys. You're a boy compared to me, son. Left the comment. You know, listen. These are detestable comments. But you're asking me like, do I care? No, I don't really care. But you know, is it wise for someone who's sponsored by Nike and Gatorade to be doing that? No. That's a pretty unwise move. But I'm not sponsored by Nike and Gatorade, so. Or maybe whatever happened the first time about someone who had access to his account did it again. But if that's the case, it's like, how does that happen again? After the first situation, you know? Whatever problem that arose, if it's true that someone else was using his account did that stuff, did anti-gay slurs, then you think you would have handled that problem the first time. And yet, this is not anti-gay slurs necessarily, but um, a, a, a kind of response that indicates that maybe the person who left those anti-gay slurs is just all one person. It's just not a very simple explanation that there's all these sort of different people using it and, and yet still find ways to say offensive things. But whatever, man. I feel like the fans can. Okay, I won't get too far into this topic. I feel like the fans can send a clear message to the UFC by rejecting UFC 177 and massively supporting UFC 178. If the pay-per-view numbers for these cards reflect fans' concerns about oversaturation, do you think UFC will have a change in mentality about stacking up fight cards in 2015? I won't talk about this topic too much because people lose their minds when I do. I'll just say, I don't think that it, the hardcores might make a sort of abstract political choice about how they spend their money. They might say, I don't want to buy 177, I want to buy 178, because I would normally buy all of them, but I'd like to send a message about my consumer preferences. Um, but the rest of consumers' preferences will just play them out without these sort of abstract ideas coming into play, right? So if, if a fan doesn't know anybody on the 177 card who's like a casual UFC fan, they just won't buy it. But when they see, hey, Jones, Cormier, they might be a little more interested in it. But they're not thinking about oversaturation. Oversaturation, and I do believe that it's real. If it is real, it'll affect their preferences generally. But what you're talking about is sending a message. That only comes from somebody who would normally buy all of them and then is making a calculation about sending a message about consumer preferences. You know, 178 is just going to do better than 177. Anyway, uh, I don't. I don't think that's up for dispute very much. Um, but those kinds of cost-benefit analyses come from a very narrow group of the pay-per-view buying audience. Promotional malpractice is it promotional malpractice to keep Frankie Edgar on the bench for another six months after shelving him for a year? The point of Tough was to increase his popularity, yet they seem uninterested in building from it. It would certainly be the non-optimal outcome. Um, he gave up a year to do that show. It didn't really work out. The, the, the rubber match to he and Penn was ghastly to watch. Not because it was his fault, but, you know, it just wasn't. The season was super boring. Lowest ratings ever. Although critics loved it. Um, yeah, let me, let me look at something real quick. See if I have a better answer I can give you with respect to what's going on in that division. So Poirier is tied up uh, with 
Let's see. So Mendez and Aldo are tied up. Cub and Frankie are out there. Lamas is out there. Yeah, I don't know what they're going to do. Um, in a perfect world, I would like to see Edgar versus Swanson. Uh, I don't know what kind of world we live in. Certainly not a perfect one. That would be my ideal, you know, answer. But part of me feels like they want to save. Um, let's see. They want to save the winner of Poirier. McGregor for Swanson because in one case it'd be a rematch and in the other case it would be a fight that would be a massive sales opportunity plus that next sort of appropriate stepping stone for McGregor's career. Um, yeah, Frankie Yeager's wanted to get Cub Swanson. That's the fight that makes the most sense but I don't really know what they're going to do and I hope they can make that fight sooner rather than later. But yes, it would be unfortunate if he had to spend 18 months with really one fight during the course of that time particularly for a guy who's not getting any younger, you know, I mean, they're all not getting any younger, but sort of reaching a point where those kinds of considerations become much more serious. Um, yeah, this is an interesting one. Don't think we got your opinion on this last week. Thoughts on Matt Brown saying on, uh, saying on being favorite someday, quote, I anticipate to be, this is his words, not mine, I anticipate to be a favorite once. I don't know, maybe I'm champion or something, he said. Maybe they put me against some retard or something. I don't know. That's irrelevant in my mind. You know, listen, here's the deal. I mean, it's obviously there is no situation in which what he said is appropriate, okay? But the fact of the matter is of two considerations. One, you know, listen, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, and we use that word all the time. I do not use this as a justification, merely as evidence that uh, those in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. I am just as guilty as he of committing um, these kinds of verbal offenses. Now I'm, I'm, I'm much more aware of what all these words mean and how they can affect people. I would certainly not do that anymore. And maybe he's kind of like that. I think that rather than sort of like killing him over it, if someone could counsel him about it, uh, if he kept doing it after counseling, well then, okay, let's murder him for it. But... Um, you know, Matt Brown is, I think, a, 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 you know, a guy who has a simple life, and, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way, I mean that in a sort of praiseworthy way, a simple life and a, and a very ordinary background. Perhaps he's just not sort of up on um, this being a social miscue, and, and, and somebody speaking to him about it can probably fix the problem without sort of sweeping condemnation and attacking him as a person. If counseling doesn't work, then okay, then I'll train the guns on him, but... Um, you know, it's like when John Jones dr uh, drove drunk. Listen, I'm not proud of it, but I'm not gonna pretend I haven't done it before. You know, it's a horrible, stupid thing I did when my when I was in college. Nobody got hurt. It was fine. I mean, it wasn't fine, but you know, there were still major consequences from it. And and I, in in all forms, it should be condemned. I haven't done it since. Never will do it again. Um, but you know, young men in their early twenties do dumb ass s. They do, and I'm. I've, I've done that stuff. The worst thing a writer can get up here and do is just lecture athletes about, you know, the moral morality of their behavior. I mean, in certain circumstances, we all have a responsibility to police our own ranks, you know, but we also have to have some self-awareness and some modesty and some and some cognizance of our own our own uh, wrongdoing, you know. Again, you know, I, I think I drove drunk for maybe half a mile. It wasn't even, you know, I've never driven drunk for on a highway or anything like that. But it doesn't matter. It's the, it's the principle. And it was stupid, and I was in college, and I'm ashamed of it, and thank God no one got hurt, and, you know, uh, it all worked out in the end, I suppose, but but I'm not going to be one of these kinds of people who, you know, um, uh, you know, assassinates others for what, you know, our mistakes are often our most important learning life experiences, and, 
you know, you have to hand down punishments. You have to be, you have to be you know, realistic about the dangers these things cause, but you also have to be uh, uh, try not to be as, as much of as po possible. And we all struggle with this as much as possible not to be a douchebag about your own limitations, about your own shortcomings, about your own flaws, and about your own misdeeds in the past, because they made you a better. They should have made you a better person in, in the end. And I feel like. Um, you know, I, I barely even drive now. I take a cab or the metro in D.C. or I bike, you know. Um, I mean, I don't bike when I drink, but, you know, I definitely, I've never, ever, it doesn't even, can, if I have a parked car, it's just staying in the lot overnight and I'll pay the cost to come get up the next day. Doesn't even, I don't even consider driving, you know. But it, I, maybe it took that horrible experience for me to, or that awful thing that I did, rather, to inform my judgment going forward. Uh, Anderson Silva versus Nick Diaz. If Nick was to pull out of, uh, excuse me, if Nick Diaz was to pull off the upset here. Do you think? How do you think he gets it done? Um, Caesar Gracie said that Anderson Silva's chin is not what it once was. I think that there's probably some truth to that. Um, I think it's by being resilient and withering. What's he withering? Weathering the. Um, the well, I think it's going to be incessant leg attacks and movement of Anderson Silva to begin to hurt him and wear him down the same way he does basically all of his opponents, volume punching, getting them backing up, pushing them into tight corners, into tight spaces where he can really let the hand combinations go. If he goes to the mat, then you know I'm sure Diaz will have his way with him, but I don't really, I don't think a lot of us really see that necessarily happening. Now the guy is much of a takedown guy. Uh, Nick has got some throws, and his brother, his brother has some throws now from the clinch. You know, they've got some nice, from the wizard, they've got some nice... Um, Uchimadas and Horai Goshis, but realistically speaking, I don't see that being a big component. I don't know that Nick really wants to clinch with Anderson Silva. I mean, even if he believes in his abilities, Silva is the bigger guy. I mean, they're going to meet at 185, but Silva can fight 185-205. Nick Diaz can fight 170-185, so they can meet at a mutual space, but they're not the same size guy. Uh, I've seen both in person. I can tell you, Anderson, when he's not cutting weight, is significantly bigger. So, so, so it's going to be a striking contest, and it's going to be about whose striking style really gets positioned as the one, the most amount of time during each round. Um, if Nick doesn't just get outright put away, you know. So I do favor Anderson Silva to win, but I would not. Again, it's like Nick Diaz is one of these guys who has. This, Tremendous capacity to surprise. I would not at all be shocked if he has the ability to really get it done over the long haul, especially if the, if you know the year off of Anderson hurts him and 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 his chin isn't what it used to be. He doesn't have to do a whole lot to to make that work. You know, Diaz is a bit of a rib roaster, and I think this fight might better serve him being a headhunter. I mean, not strictly headhunting. You know, you have to mix it up to get to the head, but but maybe changing the combinations up a little bit more to to make them head-friendly. All right, let's see here. Let's see here. If Anthony Pettis asked you to sell a fight, would you preface with said sale with Pettis asked me to do this? I don't even know what that means. Someone says, you just said in the chat rap, you pick Cerrone, then you said you favor Alvarez. If I was unclear, I'd mean Cerrone. Again, I don't think Alvarez winning is crazy, but I favor Cerrone, just to be clear about that. Sorry about that. 
I got that wrong. Did you ever bother tweeting me stuff? Can you please share your thoughts on the Cummins-Kingsbury scorecards, like or dislike? Generally, I approve of 10-8 uh, scorecards, but even that was a little bit over the line. I did not think the first round was 10-8. You can make a case that second and third were, but uh, certainly not the first. Um, so I admire the enthusiasm to give 10-8s, but that was a bit out of control. Kevin Casey and Robert Drysdale failed their post-fight drug tests. Would you say that they were caught because of their own idiocy or because the UFC is stepping up its game and catching guys who cheat? It was Nevada, not UFC. They have been suspended, but do you expect them to be cut from the UFC? I don't know why they don't just cut Drysdale. Drysdale has more, I think, more failed tests or, yeah, or more test irregularities anyway than he does UFC fights. Um, and he's older. I don't see what the point is of keeping him around. And I like, you know, Robert Drysdale's BJJ is incredible, you know, super technical, athletic, good for big men, too. He's got, you know, he can do all kinds of things. He can he can uh, mobility pass. He can pressure pass. Uh, I, I really like his jiu-jitsu, but, you know, <laughs> guy's got issues. Uh, and Kevin Casey, you know, if they want to keep him, great. If not, I mean, listen, I don't need to see Kevin Casey uh, fight in the UFC. I don't really think that he'd have a particularly long career there. If they have needs for them as a business, that's their issue. But do I am, am I dying to see Kevin Casey compete in UFC? No, I'm not. Look, people keep asking about this. I don't know. Um, someone saying the secret match at Metamorris is Henzo Gracie and Matt Hughes. It's not at Metamorris. It's an announced fight for uh, Super Fight for ADCC <coughs> 2015, which means there will still be a tournament, but outside the tournament just as an attraction they're going to have Henzo Gracie Matthews. I thought it would have been better if uh, it was Matt Sarah versus Matthews. What do you think about all this, and are you glad to see them compete again? Definitely glad about it. I think that guys who are retired from fighting can still have interesting grappling matches. I think it's the same event where they're going to have Mario Sperry versus Ricardo Laborio, which is going to be nuts. So I'm really happy about that, too. I like it a lot. I think they have very different styles. Uh, Henzo has a bit of a more frenetic style. Matthews is like a, a really sort of loves dominant steps. That's, I don't want to accuse him of stalling, but I think he does like dominant, dominant static control positions. And so this is going to be a kind of case of, I, I think it'd be interesting if I'm Henzo about using some of the newer things in the game that he may be exposed to that Matt probably hasn't been. Um, inside De La Hiva, Barambolos, things that Matt Hughes can't really possibly prepare for, even with that stifling, heavy hip top control, great base, great balance, hard to roll, hard to, hard to sweep. Um, you don't really have to sweep somebody necessarily if you could do a Barambolo. Barambolos work no gi as well. Um, they're different. The setups are different, but you can get them. Um, and, and uh, you know, reverse De La Hiva or inside De La Hiva, depending on what part of the world you come from, um, those work too, you know. And I think that would be a really, really interesting way for Henzo to maintain because Matt Hughes, is, I think, is a very good grappler. Um, obviously, will control the takedown. Henzo will probably have to sit to guard, so he's going to be doing a lot of guard play. If he's going to be doing guard play and he just does the standard butterfly stuff or full guard stuff, I think Matt Hughes will have his way. But if he can really find a way to play interesting half guard, find a way to dig in to um, uh, and, uh, reverse De La Hiva, stuff like that, I really believe he'd have an, an, a nice opportunity to, to do well against Matt Hughes. If you don't know what reverse De La Hiva is, it's... Hard to explain, but if it's my right leg and your right leg, my right leg goes 
on the inside of your leg and then wraps around on top to the hip. And it's used as a way to lift your the foot that I'm, the 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 leg that I'm wrapping. It's used to lift it off the ground to push you forward, and you can swim underneath for a back take. But attacking from the back, I think, would be Henzo's best best opportunity. True false. Bisping will win a unanimous decision against Kung Lee. False. Vitor will win a round against Weidman. False. There will be a finish in the Silva Diaz fight. That's tough. That's a five round fight, too. Um, true. There will be a finish in the Roy Nelson Marcon fight, of course. I don't know who it's going to be, but yes. Tough 20 women's straw weight. I'm not sure if you've been following this division, but I am interested on whom, I'm interested in whom you think has the best chance to win it. Favorites to win it are Tisha Torres, Joanne Calderwood, Carla Esparza, Jessica Penny, and Rose Nabajunas. Well, Penny is probably my favorite competitor on the group, but she's outsized. Um, Tisha Torres, I think, will make a big splash, but Calderwood, the Scott, is definitely my pick of the bunch. Alvarez front row at the AC card. Thoughts? Yeah, dude, he's going to go to the UFC. I don't know when, but just expect it. You get a free roll bet of, a, a, I don't know if it's 100000 or 100 bucks on Diaz Silva at even odds. To win, you have to get the fight around method right. What is your choice? Uh, Silva, TKO, round three. Should Nick Diaz become a sports agent post-fight career? No. But I will say this. I don't know that Diaz would manage anyone else's career that well, but um, he knows who he is, and he knows what he wants, and he knows that there's self-awareness is, is sort of key ingredient here. Like, what am I prepared to do? Um, but the other key component here is that he is, he does have a general sense about his value and the current climate, because it's it's, it's what do I want, what is expected of me, what do I want of myself, what am I prepared to do, and how am I best positioned to do that. You know, it, it, it pretty smart in turning down the Hector Lombard fights and who knows whatever else they threw at him, right? I mean, the guy has, he, he might lose his next fight and, and, and the, you know, three of the last four or whatever, whatever the numbers are, but the reality is he's getting these ridiculous fights because um, he is leveraging the demand he builds through things that aren't related to winning. And when you have a guy who's like that, I mean, that, that in and of itself has a limited shelf life, too. I don't think this is something he can, you know, surf on for the next six, six months to a year to two years, but uh, without some measure of victory in there. But I sort of just mean that, like, he was able to read the tea leaves pretty accurately. Um, I think a lot of that came from just principle about what he wanted for himself. I think a lot of that came from the fact that he realized UFC needed some stars, they needed some headliners, and that people wanted him. And that the UFC had made these constant offers at him um, that he was probably pretty valuable to them. So, you know, how specifically he was in the cal calculations about his, himself, I don't, I don't really know. None of us do. But it, it, it stands to reason that I don't know that Diaz could manage anyone else. But his awareness of self, combined with his awareness of the sort of general market realities, made him. Uh, he made some pretty great choices, didn't he? 
He made some really defensible choices. He was right to sit out. That's a very different calculation for Nate Diaz. But for Nick Diaz, it's hard to say anything he did was wrong. What's your opinion on fights made just for fun? Diaz versus Silva reminds me of a lot of Japanese matchups. And since the death of Japanese MMA, we really haven't seen a lot of them. This year will be 10 years since I started watching MMA. And I am about competitiveness, and I understand that UFC functions more like a league. But I really miss sometimes this kind of matchup. And I actually think that fun fights from time to time are actually healthy for the sport. I could not agree more. Um... What's interesting about these fights is that, like, it reminds me of other leagues' all-star games, but other leagues' all-star games are, you know, they're scheduled, and it's an honor to, to, to make the Pro Bowl, but no one wants to go and play because it's not, it doesn't really count for anything. Or the MLB all-star game, you know when it's coming, fans vote on it, you know, the winner gets home field advantage, I believe that's how it works, and I watch a lot of baseball, but, um, you know, so it has some value, but not a ton, you know, you get subbed out after a few innings if you're a pitcher, things like that. Um, these fights feel like all-star matches that the fans and the community naturally push together, and they actually count. Now, they may not count quite as much as, like, a normal fight would if, if they were divisionally contending for a title, but much more so than something else. It's like an all-star game that really counts, that really feels fun, that fans really want to see. So I think you actually do see these phenomena in other sports, but it's so tightly controlled and regulated. It often has ambiguous meaning. It, the level of play can sometimes not even be up to normal standard. Here you're going to get higher level of play because their talent will be fully leveraged. And on top of that, they're meeting simply because one's an all-star, one's an all-star, and maybe they haven't won a couple fights recently, but it doesn't matter because the magic is what they'll do together, not necessarily what brought them to the very place they're at in the last couple of fights. Um, so it's like MMA's all-star matchups. That, that's kind of how I look at it. And then you could say all-star matchup is you know, a title fight versus a number one contender. I, that's fine, too. You can quibble with my definition, but I just mean you know, what's good about MMA is our all-star fights are real and they're fun. And the fact of the matter is, I do think there are consequences. I think if one guy looks really bad, that could be really bad for their career. I don't, I don't expect that. I think even no matter who you pick to win, I do think the other guy will show up and, and make a strong account of themselves, so I'm not too worried about that. But, but even more to that point, I believe that if Nick Diaz wins, they're going to give him a title shot at welterweight. I know they're fighting at middleweight. I know it has nothing to do with any kind of divisional... Um, marauding at welterweight. He didn't beat anyone there to get it. doesn't matter. If you can beat Anderson Silva, and if he stops Anderson Silva, I don't think that's likely, but just work with me here. If he stops Anderson Silva, can you imagine? Can you imagine the level of um, enthusiasm behind his momentum at that point? He'll, I mean, talk about, talk about launching yourself into the stratosphere. You know, He'll go down and he'll say, I don't want to stay at 185. I want to stay at... Uh, uh, 170. They'll give him a title shot, or they might give him a title shot against Chris Weidman. It's not. It's not crazy to think. I don't know that they will, but I don't think that. I think if that happened, it would be entirely expected. Entirely expected. So, just keep that in mind. Um, and for Anderson Silva, if he goes there and stops Nick Diaz, I don't think they're going to give him Chris Weidman again. But they'll find some kind of interesting use for him. Maybe he jumps up to 205. You know. I think one reason why I like this fight is because both guys live in two weight classes. They're meeting in one, but they can get interesting fights. In, in, in between them, four different weight classes, 
welterweight. I should say three. Excuse me. Welterweight, three weight classes. Welterweight, middleweight, and light heavyweight. You know, that's that's a lot of room to play with. A lot of different permutations. You know, you could go Anderson Silva, uh, Rashad Evans if Anderson Silva wins up at 205, or you could do it at 185. There's lots of different ways to do that. So. Um, that's what I really like about it. You can go any number of different directions with it, and if the guy looks really, really good doing it, no matter who it is, there are fights you can give them that make sense for their contracts and make sense for their careers and make sense for their own interests about who they do and don't want to fight. Ooh. Damn, my forehead is shiny. See all these dogs behind me? All right. Fighters coming off consecutive losses. Not to be a stick in the mud about this so much. Um, there was complaints made about Marquardt and Tahuna main eventing off double losses, and that was on Fight Pass. Anderson and Nick are not our main eventing on pay-per-view, and not just on any pay-per-view. One of the three big ones: Super Bowl weekend, Fourth of July, and end of year are the huge ones. I'm all for it, but in hindsight, was the criticism of the Marquardt fight justified, and this is not, even though it's the same in principle. Well, it's, I understand your point. I don't think it's a fair question to ask, but the difference is pretty substantial. Um, Marquardt and Tahuna aren't stars, not even a little bit. And Nick and Anderson are, especially Anderson, one of the biggest, best fighters ever, if not the best. Um... It's eminently more forgivable that he has a bit of an issue on his record. Plus, it was the same guy. You know, he wasn't like getting bodied by seven or eight different people. Um, you know, Diaz is a little bit different situation. Although you could argue he won the kind of fight, I suppose. But um, it's it's not the same. Star power is eminently forgivable, and it tells you about the nature of it. People want to see them, even if they lost. You know, why do people want to see Kimbo Slice? Because they thought he was amazing? I mean, I'm sure some did. But even when folks realized he wasn't all that good, they were still interested in seeing Kimbo Slice. And Kimbo Slice was on the ultimate fighter, did record ratings. Star power is a thing, man. People become fans. The fan, the bands you like aren't necessarily the best bands of all time, but maybe you like them. Maybe they appeal to you. Maybe you like what they have to say. Maybe you like the way they play, you know? They don't have to be the Beatles and the Stones and, and Soda Stereo and, and, uh, and whoever else, man. They don't have to be these all-time greats, you know? Um, they can be they can be less, but when you have this affinity to them, these attractions to them. Now it turns out that that in the case of Silva and Diaz, they're also much higher ranked than Marquardt and Tahuna, so there's more legitimacy even on that level. But if we're just making the argument about coming off of losses, Marquardt and Tahuna have absolutely zero star power, um, and so you're sort of wondering like if they have no star power, then they should have some sporting credibility. And in the end, Marquardt put on a fine performance, but it just sort of the, the criticism going in was like, what are we watching this for? We're not watching two stars. We're watching guys coming off of losses. In the end, how appealing is that really? I think that was the criticism, which I, I think is a very fair one. It should just tell you about the stickiness of star power, man, in the, and how malleable it is and what you can do with it. You know, It can be at a fevered pitch even when guys are losing. That's how important star power is. That's what runs this business. Stars. Fighters being stars. This is a star-driven business. Whether you like it or not, that is what moves the needle. True-false. 
Cerrone gets a title shot in 2015. False. Diego Sanchez gets finished in one of his next two fights. True. Nate Diaz gets a fight lined up before the end of the year. That might be true. I don't know. Bellator's next pay-per-view gets 100,000 buys. I don't know. Um, false. Edgar faces Swanson next and loses a decision. It's a two-parter, though, right? Um, true. Cerrone Alvarez goes to a decision. False. UFC decides to introduce non-title, non-main event five-round fights in 2015. False, but God, I wish. Fight cards get even more watered down over the course of the next 18 months. Depends on them, man. They can or they can't. Jones versus Cormier, or Jones, yeah, goes to a decision. True. UFC 178. If the Cerrone versus Alvarez fight gets made, would you categorize 178 as the best card on paper of the year? So here's who's on it. Jones, Cormier, Cerrone, Alvarez, if it gets made, McGregor, Poirier, Green, Masvidal, Cruz, Mizugaki, Kennedy, Romero, uh, Nunez Zingano, Ebersol Howard, Cotes uh, Thompson. Um, yeah, this is the best card in, if not just this year, years. And again, I have no idea if it's related to what happened at 174, but you would have to think after a moment like that, they said, okay, we just can't phone this in, you know. Silva versus Diaz, biggest non-title fight in UFC history. It's up there. Um, Hughes Gracie was pretty big. Similar kind of thing. Um, there's also a question about the early days. Um, it wasn't as big, but it was big to me. The first Penn-St. Pierre fight was pretty big. That was a non-title fight. Um, it's up there, man. It's certainly up there. Give us your thoughts on the fight and how you see it going. I've already done that. Uh, do you think this will be a stadium show? And what? No, it won't be a stadium show. And what else would you expect on the car in terms of star power? I don't know. I hope they stack it, but I don't know that they will. Sounds like they. If that's the main event, it sounds like they won't have any other title fights on there, which means they really need to have some interesting contender fights. But we'll see. Nick Diaz, honest and rational. Yesterday, Nick Diaz touched on an issue that one rarely sees being discussed by fighters: the notion that fighting isn't fun and merely a means to an end. Nick asserts that most fighters share his opinion about the idea of fighting. So do you agree with him? Are a sizable portion of the fighters unhappy with their occupation and force themselves to endure for the sake of a paycheck? Let me just say something. First of all, I think it's an incredibly important question, and it's one I desperately want to answer, but I'm not going to for the reason that I just got done shooting the MMA beat, and I answered this one directly in a way in which it speaks to your question about being honest and being rational. It's kind of funny you say that, as a matter of fact, because I use those two words, I think, exactly in my response. So what I would encourage you to do is I, I would like to have a more full-throated conversation about it here, but I'd be completely trampling on what I'm saying tomorrow that comes out tomorrow. So in the fairness to the MMA beat, I'll just say please watch that because we speak to this issue directly. And there's a range of opinions here. 
from Ariel sits here, Jeff sits here, and Chuck sits there. We went all over the place, but from my vantage point, um, I'll, I'll just say this. From my vantage point, I actually find it refreshing by what Nick Diaz said. Uh, Mendez and Rio again. Function of oversaturation, Mendez, agreeability, or lack of Brazilian champions. I definitely think that um, they have to nurture, better nurture that Brazilian market. I don't think that MMA is quite as hot as it has been. And bringing a champion back who can do a better gate there than he could here probably has some benefit. It sucks for Chad uh, Mendez, but I think that's more the calculation is that he's not. Aldo has been something of a disappointment in the UFC. I mean, y'all can disagree all you want, but he has been. He's fought well. He's beaten all these guys. I don't. I don't begrudge him that, but he hasn't. It's definitely been a style to maintain position, not particularly attacking, which is fine. You don't have to. But then when guys go out of their way to do that, like Anderson Silva, you really have to praise them. Um, that's sort of my rule. I don't. I don't begrudge Aldo the way he fights, but I definitely makes me appreciate what Anderson Silva does that much more. And um, so I don't think he's a big hit here. Not that he's a major hit in Brazil, but he's a much bigger one there. They need to nurture that market. They can bring a title fight back there. They can do a better gate there. It makes sense. Luke, have your live chat been permanently moved to Thursday? No. I've just got... My job is crazy, y'all. Like, I have the most diverse job on the site. I think I truly mean that. Because I do... Sometimes I do video reporting. Sometimes I do these chats. I, mean, I always do these live chats, but I do these... Sometimes I write opinion articles, sometimes I write just news stories, sometimes I live blog, sometimes I edit all the photo galleries because I'm an editor. So I got this job where like I do all these different things and sometimes they just overlap and they don't all work uh, together. So I have to make adjustments and I appreciate you making the adjustments with me, but no, there is no intention to move this to Thursday, at least not permanently. If DC loses to John Jones, will he float between light heavyweight and heavyweight or do you expect him to get back in the line? and work his way back to a title shot. I think he'll address his knee, and we'll see how long that keeps him out. He's 35. I wouldn't even be surprised if he walked away. I don't think he'll walk away. I don't think that's the likeliest outcome, but I don't think he's that far away from doing that. Uh, I think if he wins the title, he defended probably a few times, and if he couldn't if he couldn't be beat, then he'd probably be on his way. But I don't see him fighting for, like, five years or anything. Three at the most, at the most. So, so we'll see what happens. Um... If he lost badly to John Jones, I could see him floating in between. But otherwise, no. Rank these notable striking coaches above one another. We've got Hooft, Rufus, Winklejohn, and Ludwig. You know, I know Duke uh, from Glory. Um, and you don't really say rank these striking coaches on what? Because... Duke is, has a kickboxing background, but he's actually a blue belt in jiu-jitsu, and he's an MMA coach, you know. Uh, Winklejohn's more of a striking specialist. Ludwig, same thing. Hope, same thing. So Duke's not quite the same as the other one. Um, someone says put uh, Rafael Cordero in the mix. Absolutely. And Matt Hume. Again, Matt Hume, though, different kind of coach. Yes, he has some striking knowledge. Plenty of encyclopedia of striking knowledge, but he's more of an MMA coach. These other guys are striking specialists, so it's a little harder to answer. Um, I don't know that I would rank them, though. I don't, I don't really like doing that because I haven't worked with any of them in close proximity except for, for Duke Rufus, um, and I've never even watched him work in his gym. You know, If you're talking about results, um, 
you know, they're all pretty high up there. Duke has a champion, uh, one of the best strikers in all of the sport. Uh, Winkle John has trained any number of champions. Ludwig has now a protege as well. Hooft, um, not quite yet, right? Because the guy Johnson hasn't won one yet. He's not a UFC. Vitor, not yet. And none of the other Black Zillions, so not Evan. So Hooft probably be down in the list if we had to rank. But it sort of all depends on what you're measuring there. But these guys don't all do the exact same things. Oh, I'm so tired, y'all. Mm. Concussions in MMA. Luke, how do you feel about concussions being handled? Um, excuse me. How do you feel commissions handle brain injuries in MMA? I play junior hockey and men's rugby. I have had three diagnosed concussions, each one worse than the last, and each time I took four to five months off to completely recover. Now I know that I am not the standard model for the recovery procedure, but what baffles me about MMA is how some of these fighters will be knocked out cold in a fight and are suspended from competition for only 60 days. Many of these fighters may even be competing while they still have post-concussion syndromes. Obviously, concussions are inevitable in MMA, I think sports generally. But do you think there should be more steps taken by the commissions to help protect the long-term health of the, uh, of the fighters? Well, I certainly think we're moving in that direction. When this brand study comes out, the one you, the, the, that Golden Boy and Top Rank and UFC and Viacom have all invested in, I think we'll have some better understandings of the kind of brain injuries that fighters have to deal with, particularly along with how that maps over their calendar as athletes. Right. This isn't this isn't you know um, soccer, which has these long seasons, and or football that has 16 weeks and he has all this downtime, um, relatively speaking anyway. Uh, so it, everyone's got their own calendar, and so for me, I I, I I think we're moving in a direction where brain injuries are being taken more seriously. But here, here's the problem, right? And um, commissions were created in their infancy as a means of just having all the business of fighting above board. Let's make sure that as a government entity, if a promoter wants to hold a fight in our jurisdiction, that this guy's got a license and that he puts some money down uh, to make sure that these fighters get paid so that as, a, as a deposit. So we know he's not some scam artist. That there's a little bit of money in case of an injury, so you put that down as well. That the fighters all have licenses that um, the matchups are relatively even. Now, the growth of their responsibilities has happened because they're the de facto regulators, and as other issues arose, it sort of naturally fell on their lap. But as in its initial stages, many athletic commissions, if not all of them, were never designed to tackle these really deeply profound issues about brain injury or performance-enhancing drugs, they're not really equipped for it. They don't really know how to handle it. Um, I don't think that in this particular case, as it relates to brain injury, that they're best suited to make determinations. And they have some physicians as, um, you know, in, a, in an advisory capacity, but these aren't particularly robust. All these guys don't get the kind of brain evaluations that they should be, either pre- or post-fight. Um, again, I think we're trending slowly in a direction where that's getting better. But just also trying to point out to you, like, as long as this sport is regulated by state-by-state -state athletic commissions, um, and there aren't, it's not an independent medical body 
that is that the commission could still the commission could still have all the regulatory powers that it has, but have a much more robust, uh, full-throated, exhaustive medical testing and treatment being done for brain injuries, or an independent body doing significantly more, much more uh, testing and then handing out a, a guideline for punishments. The, the commission could still then say, we have jurisdiction over this based on this, you know, rigorous testing um, procedure that we have and what it tells us about brain injury. We recommend that we, you know, we demand the following, you know, um, uh, requirements be met before you can compete again. That would be fine. That would be fine. They, you still give them the legal wherewithal to make these choices, but you remove from them this requirement they have to be in charge of testing and understand what it means that uh, these guys had a testosterone to epitestosterone ratio that's out of whack or what the different kinds of steroids being taken mean. They have to, they have to learn things that just aren't their core competencies, and as a consequence, the regulation of them suffers. That's really the issue here. Um, again, I don't think, I'm not trying to, on this particular issue, I'm actually not trying to kill them. I think it's very difficult to do all the things that they do and yet still, still try to understand brain injuries or try to understand all these different problems. So um, are we getting there? Yes. We're not even close to where we need to be, but I have some worries about how far we can actually get in the end because these guys, this is not what they're designed to do. I, got, I read an article, God, I need to publish it from like 19... I think I mentioned this before, like 1919, 1920, about the establishment of the New York State Athletic Commission. It was like all the things it was going to do. I mean, it had nothing to do with testing people or, you know, these are the days before known communicable bloodborne diseases. But nevertheless, um, it was about let's, get, let's, let's charge a fee to this promoter. Let's make sure these fights are fair. Let's, um, you know, let's just make sure this guy's got a license. And it wasn't a whole lot more than that. And if you think about it, that's what a government could do effectively. You know, a limited but enforceable thing. As it expands beyond that, you know, it really becomes much, much, much more difficult to manage. True or false? Anthony Johnson's next opponent will be Glover Teixeira. Probably true. Metamorphs 4 does close to or as many pay-per-view buys as UFC 177. False. Burrell was actually sick during his UFC 173 title defense and it had an impact on his performance. I do think that's true. Per capita, Canada has more MMA fans than the United States. Probably. Yoel Romero finishes Tim Kennedy. False. Anderson Silva finishes Nick Diaz. True. The WWE is a dying brand. No, but they've had some issues. Michael Bisping defeats Kung Lee. I don't know. Maybe. UFC 178 does the most pay-per-view buys of 2014. Probably true. Matt Brown's mixed martial arts abilities peaked on Saturday. Um, certainly that's been the peak to date. Luke Thomas would rather eat a live cockroach than make face the pain his ringtone forever. Yes, it's true. I would rather eat an African hissing cockroach. Uh, Luke, the UFC has stated title fights will always be main events and bouts like Diaz Silva would serve as co-main. Since this fight has already been slotted as the main event, and rightfully so, 
Do you believe USC would benefit from having a title fight as a co-main event? Um, I certainly don't think it's as much of a deal as they do, but they do. Uh, having Johnson, Aldo, Dillashaw on a pay-per-view that with that big card feel behind a paywall could prove more beneficial than your run-of-the-mill Fox shows. I don't disagree, but they seem insistent on the respect it confers when the main event is a title fight. That they already have a that they already have a, uh, a main event that is a non-title by their own rules precludes them of doing that. But I'm I'm with you. I don't I don't think that should be a hard and fast rule. I think there should be exceptions made, particularly in something as sort of novel as Nick Diaz versus Anderson Silva. Um, someone says because of who DJ Demetrius Johnson being who he is, can John Dodson be a breakout star at flyweight? Wouldn't it be great to have him as a UFC champ due to his finishing rate and ability to create exciting fights in an otherwise boring weight class? I can't see how anyone can be excited about flyweight and the fights there without a champion with a personality who also finishes fights in dominant fashion. Granted, Demetrius Johnson has finished his last two of three fights. His finishing ratio is not as high as Dodson's. Also, wouldn't you agree that Dodson has the best chance of beating DJ anyway? I would agree with a lot of that, but here's the problem. Dodson's not the guy. There is no guy right now. And flyweight. There are very, very credible talents, man. Zach Makovsky is a credible talent. Jusir Formiga is a credible talent. John Dotson is a credible talent. Demetrius Johnson needs no introduction. Um, Chris Carriasso is a, is a very, very good fighter. I don't know that he deserves a title shot or that he's going to have any chance of winning, but you get the idea, right? Uh, John Moraga, very talented fighter. So, um, and obviously Joseph Benavides and Ian McCall. There's a lot. These guys are all very, very, very good. They're all very good, but they're not that transcendent figure. They're just not. None of them are. None of them are. And it, it sounds terrible for me to say, and I feel kind of bad saying it, you know, in some ways. But they're just not the guy. They're not the one, man. You you need you need that. Um, how, how do I say it exactly? Conor McGregor is just this other figure. We don't even know how good he is now. And we already care. We talked earlier about Diaz versus Silva. These guys coming off losses, and how come? Tahuna versus Marquardt got all this stuff. It's because, dude, we're not talking. We're talking about two completely different calculations about how fans approach their product. Look at Conor McGregor. He hasn't beaten anyone in the top ten yet, and here we are. And the guy's headlining cards. People are going ape ass to see him. Dude, I think you really need a Prince Nassim Hamed in in the flyweight class. I I I, I just firmly believe that. You need a guy who can, who can do all the things that Johnson can do and Dodson can do. They can do all those things, but has a kind of magnetism about his personality, who has this, when he comes out, he's just different. He's just different, you know, and he, and, and he fights in a certain way that is sort of electrifying. I mean, Gr Gregor fights pretty interesting, but that's not, like, the most interesting thing about him. The most interesting thing about him is how he's a national hero and this, this like, bizarre yet admirable self-confidence and how the two marry and, and um, it's, 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 you know, how he's this extreme version of his own self. And this, this belief in destiny. These are all the things that make Conor McGregor interesting. You know, um, you need that at flyweight, and they're just none of those guys there now. They're all super talented fighters, man. They deserve all the respect in the world. It's absolutely true. But if you're looking at the current list of guys and being like, okay, which one of these guys can be that guy? None of them. None of them can be that guy. And that's just the way it's going to be until someone breaks out and they have that that uh, that you don't need to speak it to 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 know it to feel it. That, that magnetism that makes you sort of like a, like a dog, like turn your head like that. And I don't mean like in a mean way, but like, a, like what am I looking at? Who is this character? Everyone just seems to sort of like want to see him. 
until you find someone like that, you, you can't sort of pinpoint and then sort of say, well, Dotson might be that guy because he's got this kind of stuff. If you're having to like, if you're having to handicap it or hedge your bet about it or say or like list reasons why it could be, you, it's too late. It should be it should be natural. It should be easy. It should flow. And if it doesn't, they're not the one. Let's see. Oh, someone says about the Pettis question, Gilbert Melendez tweeted a picture of the belt, and Gilbert Mel or, uh, Instagram, a picture of the belt, and Gilbert Melendez says, quote, Anthony Pettis told me we should sell the fight. Well, how about this, Showtime Pettis? I'm going to whoop your ass on December 6th to take the UFC belt back to California where it belongs. Yeah, great. True or false, one of your listeners is going to send you an African hissing cockroach to eat. Probably. Y'all are crazy. Let's cut to the chase. Who do you have winning? Anderson Silva or Nick Diaz? Anderson Silva, will there be an MMA beat on Friday? Yes, uh, there will. Your next chat will be 100th chat. Next week is the 100th chat. That's true. This is the 99th chat. Would you consider base jumping from the roof of the SB Nation building if you get 500 comments? I don't think I can base jump. It's not that high. It's only 12 stories high. This one is only 8 stories high in New York. Now, the building goes way up, so I guess I can go that one. But the one in D.C., we're at the top floor, and it's it's 11 or 12 stories. So, mm -mm. But I am working on something for you guys. Trust me. I know you don't, but I could just say that because I know it's true. Do other sports broadcasters purposely clown on the UFC? Luke, I was watching SportsCenter last night on ESPN2, and the broadcaster reading the news acted like he never read a teleprompter when the Silva Diaz news segment came up by pausing and stuttering multiple times. I noticed this as well when Fox baseball commentary team acted like they were reading a spot for a WWE match by laughing during it. The worst of all was... UFC 100, when the Sports Center team began the UFC segment with, there's a fight this weekend if you're into that kind of stuff, as if they were covering a hot dog eating contest. Is this done on purpose? It seems like it's getting better, but I still cringe half the time when I know a UFC segment is coming up on Sports Center. Well, first of all, you're referencing UFC 100. That was five years ago. <laughs> I mean, we can sort of get over how it was back then. But, like, listen, dude, it's always going to be this way, I mean, at least for the foreseeable future. You know? If you work at a mainstream media outlet, MMA is not a natural part of their sporting diet. It's I would give I, I talked about this before. I give a lot of credit to the UFC for making it much better than it has been, much more accepted. That you know, hey, you, when you cover sports, there's NFL, there's MLB, there's there's um, you know Olympics, there's World Cup, and there's soccer, and there's hockey and whatever else. But there's also boxing. There's also mixed martial arts. So that that's become much more of an accepted idea than it ever has been. But, you, you know, combat sports is a cousin to sports. 
and they're related in many ways, but they're not related in many ways. Um, it's the, it's not, I hate to say it. Uh, we're the, we are the Neanderthal cousin to the Homo sapiens sport. Combat sport, Neanderthal, sport, Homo sapiens. And they're very, very similar, right? But they're also not very similar. Um, and so trying to get the people in the sporting world to to navigate our space effectively can be very, very difficult. Some guys can do it. You have to also give credit to the guys who can. Over at ESPN, Max Britos, um, Todd Grisham, those guys can do it. You know, Sage Steele, she can do it too. You know, so so it's not as it's not nearly as bad as it once was. But you're you're just talking about two different worlds, worlds that are much more united than they ever have been. In no small parts of the effort, the tremendous amount of push that UFC has made, but it's not a natural fit. If you went to the Washington Post now, man, it's like I told I talked about this before. These guys don't even know what kind of traffic these these sports pull. They don't think much of them. They're very dismissible to them, partly because they're old, partly because they have different ideas about what sports should and shouldn't be. You know, can you imagine trying to convince John Feinstein to watch MMA? What a chore that would be. And why would you even want to? You know. But that's what you're dealing with here. Um, someone has a someone has a very nice thing to say about the Joe Rogan podcast. Someone put actually a uh, I saw an article on Reddit about like let's start a petition to get Luke Thomas on Reddit or on uh, the Joe Rogan podcast. And there was a lot of positive people in there, a lot of haters, which is sort of the story of my career. Uh, I appreciate everyone who tried. I'm, I'm not making a cop out by saying I'm not famous enough. I don't live on the West Coast. I live on the East Coast. That's a problem. More importantly, it's like like Joe should be, like. If y'all want to lobby for it, I mean, do what you want. You know, I, I appreciate it, but but you know, Joe's got like a, a set of interests. He's I think he's had Josh Gross on before. You know, Josh lives in L.A. that kind of thing, and um, you know, I don't know Joe very well, and 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 certainly I've watched his podcast. I thought the one with Hicks and Gracie was incredible. You know, I would never turn down the opportunity, but he does sort of have people more accomplished than me on there. Like, you know, I try, I try to work hard in my career, and I think I've done a few things. You know, but. Um, you know, he gets people who've done a lot more than me 99% of the time on there. And so, again, I would do it in a heartbeat, but just in fairness to him, I, it's like, again, it should be natural. Like, if he, if he consumes enough of my stuff or it's a thing he wanted to do, then that's fine. But I don't even know if he reads anything I ever write, you know. And, that's, and if he didn't, it's fine. Like, my dad doesn't even, my dad, my dad couldn't tell you what site I work on. Seriously. He knows Vox only because of Ezra Klein. He could not. He could not. On if you put a computer in front of him, he could not find it. Like, where? What? Show me your son's work. He couldn't do. It. I mean, he could Google, I suppose, but like, if he had to just outright name it, he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. And that's my dad. You know, so it's fine, man. Like, I don't. I don't stress about it. If he reads it and watches the stuff, it's amazing. I'm super humbled. Uh, if he doesn't, that, that's okay too. You know, the guy's got a million things going on. So. Um, I don't, I don't know what to say, you know. I appreciate everyone's support, but y'all don't have to harass Joe, you know. That's hilarious.
some of these gifts y'all put up are hysterical. Jones, DC Tension, Luke, I know you're not one to care for the trash talk between fighters. That being said, what do you think about the unique tension between Jones and DC? Do you care at all? And how do you think it affects each fighter? It's real, man. And again, this is something that comes up on the MMA beat tomorrow, so I don't want to say too much, but um, there's always so much made about these two guys don't like each other. And the problem with promoters is that they overplay it. They use it all the time. And you know they're lying 99% of the time. Sometimes it's true, and this is one of those cases. When it's real, and it is real, when it's real, yes, of course, who doesn't like it? What I don't like is when you get Vanderlei Silva versus Michael Bisping, and then people are asking Vanderlei, you know, why are you going after Michael Bisping? I, I, he says, he literally says, I don't know. You know, it's like, oh, my God, you know, we have to, we have to listen to this crap. You know, that, okay, that is not as fun, you know. But if it's real, and it's super real, man. I've talked to, I've talked to the young Cormier off the record. I've talked to John Jones off the record, even on the record. Hell. And it's real. It's 100% real. And so when it's that way, yeah, yeah, there's something to it, which isn't to say they don't respect each other too. I mean, I'm sure they do, but um, if it natu when it's all the best kind of promotion is the promotion of, you know, you, you can go a little bit hyperbole, but when you have real raw material to give the audience, you know, dress it up, make it look nice, make it look pretty, give it a little bit of a push but eventually has to fly on its own. And, man, there is enough there to do magic. Uh, someone has, a, like, a Photoshop picture of both Diaz and Silva holding their arms up and saying, true or false, Luke Thomas would still be entertained if we got 25 minutes of this. <laughs> I'd be entertained if, so, if someone notes, yes, if there was a microphone. Yes, I would like that. Again, Nick, Nick Diaz stated he does not enjoy his time he spends in the cage. Meaning the fight itself. He also said the fighters, uh, he believes this is way for many fighters. Your thoughts? Again, please watch the MMA beat tomorrow. We talk about this directly. <laughs> Vitor Belfort recently admitted to using TNT. Luke, Vitor Belfort recently admitted to using TNT on <laughs> last Monday's edition of the MMA Hour. Is this an approved substance from the commission, or will Belfort find himself in deep trouble again? God, when he said that, I was just like, oh, my God. All these guys, I need TRT to live. I need TRT because my ball's shrunk. I need TRT or I'm going to die. And then they get off TRT. They drink almond milk and, you know, uh, a kale smoothie. And all of a sudden, bang, you know what? I feel great. I made a mental choice to feel great. I feel great. It's like, oh, my God, you were phony on the way in and you're phony on the way out, you know. What a joke, man. What a total joke. What was your opinion about Dave Meltzer? I think Dave's one of the most important journalists in the entire sport. Everyone wonders, like, why is MMA media so obsessed with ratings and numbers and stuff? Um, I think that's in no small part because Dave is the guy who was first interested in those kinds of things, and everyone has basically just copied Dave. I, I copied Dave. I didn't know that I cared about that stuff until I started reading it, and I'm like, oh, this matters. You know? And he was the first one to do it, and he's still got better numbers than everybody. You know? That I, everyone's like, well, you know, there's other reasons why now I do those things, but um, he was the guy who sort of set the standard for that kind of thing. Joe Riggs, did he sign a contract when he won Fight Master, or did he get cut by Bellator? He got released. He asked for it, and he got it. 
You only respond to my criticism on Twitter. Do you love it when we dis disagree with you, or are you a masochist? I don't love it when you disagree, but I, you know, I try to have a life where I can defend things I say. Sometimes I can't, but I try to do that. So when people challenge it, um, I'm, I feel compelled to respond. If everyone just like high fived, what's the point of that? It's when people disagree with you and, and they sharpen your opinion and they make you get on your heels and defend. Yeah, I kind of like that a little bit. I mean, I don't like it, but it's a it's an it's an important point. Um, true, false, real quick. Dennis Bermudez beats Conor McGregor if they were to fight. I could say that's true. Misha Tate obliterates Rin Nakai. I think so, but we'll have to see. Kenny Florian is a good commentator. He is a good commentator. True. Mark Hunt versus Roy Nelson is the real sequel to Godzilla. <laughs> That's awesome. True. Chan Sung Jung fights by the end of the year. God, I hope so, man. That's a guy. Chan Sung Jung versus Conor McGregor just has awesome written all over it. Shogun goes down to middleweight. Uh, I hope so. What was the web traffic like after the Anderson Silva versus Nick Diaz announcement? It was very, very, very good. Um... I wouldn't call it explosive, but super high. But now everything, that one announcement, that post didn't like blow the door, blow the, blow the roof off, but it was very good. But every subsequent thing about that is now very high. So that's the real measuring stick. Um, would a lifetime ban from the UFC if a fighter gets caught on PEDs work? What does that mean, work? Right? What does that mean, work? It, does it mean would it effectively deter people? Maybe, maybe not. We'll have to sort of we'd have to try it to see. But the question is, again, how clean of a sport do you want? Do you want a sport so clean that people getting multiple tests uh, infractions get banned from the sport? Is that what you want? If that's okay, if that's what you want, then we can do that. That's the kind of level you're willing to go to to have a clean sport. But that means you're probably going to sacrifice a lot of stars. Probably going to sacrifice a lot of big fights that could otherwise get made. So now, knowing that, how clean of a sport do you want? I think that really is what this whole dialogue is about and what this whole community wrestles with. We want a clean, we want a clean sport, but we really are never able to define what that means. And I think we're often scared of defining it because I think what we'd find is that if we had to define it, in truly rigorous terms, we wouldn't get what we would want out of an entertainment product. Who has better BJJ, Diaz or Silva? Diaz by a million miles. Someone says for MMA, Diaz. For MMA or BJJ. Diaz's BJJ is much better. It's not even close. Is Dennis Bermudez finally getting some respect? Should he be ranked higher than seven? Who should he fight next? I don't know what they're going to do with him next. You know, it's a bit of a difficult question to answer. But what I can say is, he got my respect by that Clay Guida beating. My initial thought going in was, oh, I'll just pick Bermudez. And then I sort of thought about it. I said, well, you know, Bermudez has been beating up on guys who are very tough, but they weren't really wrestlers. And the one wrestler he did fight, a very credible wrestler, was Matt Grice. He couldn't take Matt Grice down one time. So this fight, to me, either is going to be played out on the feet where I thought Bermudez had the advantage, but I also thought that 
Guido would be able to do to him what he did to Kawajiri, which was get in these control positions and sort of maybe stall out a little bit. He couldn't even do that. You know, the refinement of his distance management in Bermudez's case, the, the combinations he had, the scrambles he was able to hit, he still has that, like, that, that Tasmanian devil ferocity, but now he's channeled it and refined it, his sense of timing, his patience with his offense, everything really came together in that performance. He opened up my eyes big time. You know, I always knew he was pretty good, but I kind of had some lingering doubts about him. I wasn't really ready to bury Clay Guida. I was wrong. I was totally wrong. And that was a great, great performance he had and deserves a ton of respect for it. When should we expect a punishment for Vanderlei Silva? Will he get a punishment closer to Vitor or Chael? A mix of the two. Um, true, false. Silva Diaz would not go to the ground. I, I think that's true. If Diaz loses, he will take a period of time off. Probably. If he loses a close decision, he's definitely taking time off. King Mo was a goldmine for a journalist when he was talking about Rebney. I mean, it was crazy. I shot the interview. And then uh, my, my boss watched it. He's like, I think we know which direction we're going with in presenting this video. I was like, yep, sure do. Uh, Bruce Buffer's screaming act announcing the fighters gets old sometimes. I think he does a very good job, but I also prefer, not prefer, I also like as an alternative Joe Martinez. It was a very sort of smooth delivery. Uh, Matt Brown faked the nut shot, and of course not. Totally false. Ridiculous. Luke, do you think UFC 177 will have the lowest amount of pay-per-view and live gates in UFC history? Well, not UFC history. Um, in the modern era, no, but it'll be close. But not even... Uh, for a pay-per-view, it's going to be close. Um, someone's asking about Alvarez to the UFC, and they go, is Scott Coker secretly working hand-in-hand -hand with the UFC now, or is Scott just trying to clean up Bjorn's messes? Um, I talked to someone in Bellator yesterday, and they said, and they'd been there since Bellator won, and they said that you couldn't find two people more diametrically opposed naturally. Yeah. Um, that, that Bjorn Rebney and Scott Coker are just completely different people. So on the one hand, Coker's just naturally going to do business differently. On the other hand, I, I don't think he's working hand-in-hand -hand with UFC. I, I, I think that um, I'm sure he'd love to have Alvarez. I'm sure he'd love to have everybody he could have. But I do think he realizes that the reason why he's there and Rebney's not is because of critical moments in that organization's history and, and, and Rebney's tenure as its head. They made some bad choices, and they made some bad They had a bad reputation with fighters, and they really did a lot of things the wrong way. And this is a chance to fix that. This is a this is a fresh start. They kept talking about this being a fresh start for the brand. I think they really internally believe that, and that means from a practical standpoint, the way in which you deal with fighters, everything has to be above board. Everything has to be about making an attractive climate. And if that doesn't work, you got to figure out something else. Also, we talk about this a lot on the MMA beat, so I don't want to spoil that either. And that's coming out tomorrow, so watch the MMA beat. Weidman has a potential draw. In my opinion, Weidman has the potential to be a big star for the UFC. He has a fan-friendly style of fighting, super fan-friendly. Wins over big names, all-American gimmick look and style, and he can speak well on TV and media. How do you, well do you see his ability to be a draw for the UFC? I think he can be very big. I don't think he can be huge. Um, I don't think he's that great on TV, necessarily. Um, he's good, 
I wouldn't call him great. Obviously, his fighting is incredible. But I think what's gonna he really benefits from is that he's taken over a weight class, or arguably the greatest fighter of all time by beating him twice, and that coincidentally, that division is having a at least at the very very top, the top seven eight guys, is having this renaissance. So he not only had to like beat the best guy ever maybe twice, he then had to step into this moment where. He has all these like hot contenders in front of him. You know, these guys are just coming up, and the their momentum couldn't be greater for all independent reasons. And so I think that working together buoys what is a guy who's very, I mean, tremendous talent. Um, you know, little ho hum personality, but that can be forgiven because of the very unique circumstances that he faces that not a lot of guys ever really will face. How many guys? get to take over for the best fighter of all time. I mean, that's that's a pretty rare thing. And then once they do that, they walk into a division that has never been hotter. That's a very, very rare thing. He's got that opportunity now, and I think that changes the dynamic pretty considerably. Why do you think Dana has UFC shows on Fox but breaks news on ESPN? I tweeted the exact same thing the other day. What is going on with that trend? Do you think Dana's trying to have some extra leverage for the next TV deal, or is UFC a bit unhappy with Fox? Um, I definitely think it's about leverage. I definitely think it's about, you know, he can say whatever he wants about, oh, I want to work with Fox the rest of my life. And maybe they do. Maybe they re-sign with Fox, you know. But I don't think they're, they're not dummies over there. You know, we disagree on a lot of things, but I don't think they're dumb. They're very smart people. And I think what they're doing is they're sort of planting seeds and keeping relationships um, uh, there as warm as possible so that when this current TV deal is beginning to expire they have other avenues to explore. If they just ignored everybody else then trying to secure a TV deal or at least another offer to get Fox to make them make them a better offer um, as like what you know sort of what Melendez did with Bellator and UFC would be much more difficult. Also just sort of practically speaking you know, way more people watch ESPN than they do Fox. But it just is kind of, I can see why Fox would be like, really, dude? Like, we could get you to, we would want you to, like, Fox wants them to break news because it would help Fox Sports 1 with their, with their news shows to get viewers. You know, oh, tune in, Dana White's got a major announcement at 11 p.m. All right, let's flip on Fox Sports 1. That's the kind of destination thing that Dana White can provide, certainly for Fox, and he's taking that to ESPN. That is not, that is not accidental. It's not, I don't know what it is for sure, but I know for sure it's not accidental. And why wouldn't Dana White and, and UFC want to be on ESPN? Wouldn't you want to see UFC on ESPN? Wouldn't you want that kind of treatment, the worldwide leader in sports? Wouldn't you want that? Much higher viewership possibilities there. You know, part of the whole, and again, I'm, I'll keep it very limited, oversaturation, I think, is one problem. But that is a problem that they can be corrected fairly easily, on, at least on some level. Um, but one level where it can't be corrected, and one of the other things that UFC suffers from is a weak distribution channel. Um, Fox Sports 1... You know, everyone's like, oh, they do good numbers for Fox Sports 1. It's true. They do do good numbers for Fox Sports 1. But Fox Sports 1 is hampered by the fact that it's such a limited channel. They, they can't reach better heights. Perfect example, the prelims for the last Fox show were on Fox. They weren't on Fox Sports 1. So naturally, they're 1.3 million. So this is what I'm talking about. Like, even your base level, maybe 1.3 million isn't that great for Fox as a prelims. Or maybe it is. Whatever. It's not neither here nor there. My point being is just what's possible 
on a higher rated channel raises even the minimum about what you can do. So yes, certainly, 700,000, 650,000 on a Wednesday night, that's great for Fox Sports 1. The question is, is that really great for UFC? Is it optimal for UFC? If you're on ESPN2 or ESPN where you can easily generate 2 to 4 million, uh, you know, they, and I recognize they do much less than that sometimes, but I don't, you know, it's not crazy to do those kinds of numbers on those channels at all. It just raises the level of what's possible. What are the chances that Anthony Johnson can win a title at light heavyweight? I don't think they're crazy at all. I still, you know, it could be me being totally crazy. Part of me still wonders, is this the guy who's feasting on people who are, you know, could be very talented but have fatal flaws, um, and then we'll just fold against the better guys, or is this a really new guy that we have here? And every time he steps in that octagon, the last two times, he's been the new guy, the guy who's figured it all out, putting it all together. So, so we'll see. I, I, I don't know yet. I don't know yet. But I am willing to give him the benefit. When he first came back to the UFC, I just thought, well, he'll do pretty well, but that's about it. He's already done much better than I thought he would. I mean, I thought it would be, you know, not crazy to beat Phil Davis. I didn't think he'd do that, you know, the way in which he did that. That was kind of crazy. And then beating Noguera, I mean, I expected him to wash Noguera, and he did. But even so, man, just being able to showcase your might in that kind of way, pretty spectacular. If Conor McGregor becomes the champ, could he possibly become one of the most popular champions? And could Fedway also be a, a more favored division? It is certainly possible, yes. He, if he becomes champion, um, well, first of all, he becomes unique because he becomes a European champion. Um, so that's interesting. And, and, and changes the dynamic of pay-per-view for UFC. But um, yes, I could easily see if he's gotten this far, with these few, I mean, his accomplishments are real, but, you know, there's other guys in the division who've done a hell of a lot more than him. Um, um, if he if he worked his way to champion level, you know, look out. Who has more to lose between Diaz and Silva? They both have a lot to lose. Um, it depends how you want to define what could be possible for them. Silva's on his last legs, you know. Uh, he's done everything in the sport. Nick still has relative youth on his side. I mean, I wouldn't call him young, but um, relatively speaking, he is younger. Um, and so there's still opportunity if you wanted to continue a career to do some interesting things. So in that sense, there's still road ahead to, to make a name and, and build a resume that um, and build a legacy. Solos is pretty much intact. So in that way, Diaz has more to lose. On the other hand, uh, Nick Diaz, I think, also has more to win, you know? Even if Silva stops Nick Diaz, I don't think he'll get a title shot. I, I, I don't. I, I, you guys may disagree, and I don't know, and I certainly no one's ever told me anything. But the idea of Diaz getting a title shot because he beats Anderson Silva, I think you need to wake up to that reality. I think that's very possible. If you can stop Anderson Silva, imagine if he choked him out or something. Dude, people would go bananas, bananas for Nick Diaz. And and imagine if the champion is Robbie Lawler at that point. I mean, come on, how do you not do that fight? You know. All right, one more, and we got to get out of here. If the strawweights take off, do you think the atomweights could be next? That is one of the stronger divisions. Um, what's the biggest BJJ super fight that could be made involving former MMA fighters? No Hoist, no Hickson. Uh, 
I'd say, I don't know if it's the biggest, one I'd like to see, I would like to see, God, Hickson would be a good one, but I would like to see um, in a submission wrestling match, I would like to see um, Fedor Noguera in a submission wrestling match. I think that would be really fun. Um, Fedor versus a lot of guys, but I would love to see Fedor Noguera in a in uh, pure submission wrestling. Um, or, you know, um, God, there's a lot of them. I'll stick with that one. I'll stick with that one. Okay. That's the end of that. There's many more questions. I'll try to get to them if I can. I have a train I have to catch. i got to go back to the nation's capital where Kevin Durant is going to return in two years. I don't know if that's true, but I hope it's true. Sorry about the delay. Sorry about pushing it back to Thursday. Thank you for joining me on this 99th chat. Can you believe we've done 99 of these? I can't believe that either. So I appreciate it. Um, we'll be back next week. Should be on normal time. Lots of stuff to get to next week, even though there's been a canceled. Uh, um, oh, there's, no, there's, there's, sorry. There's a uh, Metamoris. Not this following weekend. Not this coming weekend, but the following. And World Series of Fighting has also got a terrible show, but whatever. We'll get to all of those things. So I appreciate you um, watching this chat. Follow me on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. Email me, luke.thomas at sbnation.com. I appreciate it. I'll be on the road. Thank you guys again. See you later. Until next time, stay frosty.